Welcome to Life in the Library with your hosts, Cheyenne and Sam. Welcome back to Life in the Library. I'm Sam. I'm Cheyenne. And on today's episode, our books are vastly different. So different. Cheyenne, do you want to take lead on this one? I guess. So, my book is called A Tale of Three Kings by Jean Edwards. Um, And this book was actually gifted to me by my lead pastor in my ministry development class that I take through my church. And it is now in my personal library. So I don't know how many of you out there actually know this, but this book is used as a mandatory read for some church staff. The reason it's so popular with leaders in a church is because of the way that it teaches you things. This book reveals to you in such a perfect way what area you may be lacking in as a leader. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So King Saul was a skilled spear thrower, meaning hurting people where it hurts. Absalom was full of envy and unable to forgive. And young David was known to be humble, patient, and someone who dodges spears and also a truster of God. If you stopped what you were doing right now and thought, if there's anyone in your life that throws spears at you, I guarantee you, you could probably come up with a name in less than a minute. Most of us could. And I think that all Christians try their absolute best to be a young David and dodge those spears. However, in reality, we're all more likely to turn into a King Saul and throw the spears back. (laughs) If we're being honest, we fall short a lot of the time. And thankfully, we have God's grace to cover those shortcomings. So this book has the ability, if you let it to, to teach you how to be the best you can be, not just as a leader, but in life overall. I don't want to go too much into this book due to it being a mandatory read for most church staffs. However, I do want to take this time to tell you what stood out to me the most about King Saul, young David, and Absalom as they're portrayed in the book. In the first chapter of the book, you read about this interaction between young David, a bear, and a lamb. Young David saw the lamb as helpless, yet the bear recognized it as its food. And in that moment, young David deterred the bear and protected the lamb. The tale of three kings uses the story to show us that in that moment, David has a realization that the Lord is his shepherd or protector, just as he was the lambs. I don't know what y'all would do if you came face to face with a wild bear in the middle of the freaking field, but I would probably have a panic attack. Like, I would faint. (laughs) In chapter three, you're introduced to the mad king, Saul, who has David sing songs to him. And it's said that everyone's favorite song of David's was the one of the little lamb. And the angels loved that song just as much as the people did. The book says that King Saul was mad and therefore he became jealous. But the book's author and I both agree that King Saul later became mad because his heart was actually full of jealousy and he felt threatened by David. However, David always did what was right and never fed into King Saul's jealousy. Good for David. I know, right? I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like, wow, this person's an absolute jerk. Let me not say so many words that are not nice to this person. But I just have to fight that instinct in me every single day. I had to fight that instinct today, man. (laughs) It's human nature to have jealousy or envy in our hearts. We're born with that sin. The tale of three kings shows us that God uses the David in us to cut out or get rid of the mad King Saul within our own hearts. It honestly makes so much sense to me that he would put us under the authority of someone who throws spears so that we can learn not to do the same thing when we come into a position of authority. Now, Absalom, I don't even know where to start with Absalom. 
Unlike David, Absalom was eager for power and he used the personality that people thought he had to his advantage. He made people believe he was humble and respectful of his father, who, by the way, is David. He started poisoning the minds of the people, not with his words, but honestly by his silence. Using his own hurt and inability to forgive allows the spirit of the mad King Saul within his heart to take root and start to roll over him. Honestly, there's so much more than what I just talked about in this book. And it has so much more than what I just talked about to teach you. And not even just for people looking to go into some form of leadership or ministry, but just for people in general. It's so easy for us to sit back and allow the mad King Saul within us to take over and rule with jealousy or envy or to throw a spear at someone who throws them first. It's an everyday battle we have to wake up and choose to cut out. It's honestly fighting our own flesh. I don't know about you, but I literally wake up every single day and try just a little bit harder to be like David because I know I can't be like him (laughs) right off the bat. I say all the time that being a Christian is probably the hardest thing that I ever have to do on a daily basis because as a Christian, God promises us that things will be hard and that it won't be easy, but he doesn't call us to be perfect. He never once expects us to be. His grace covers our imperfections and Jesus already died for all of our sins. Anyway, I don't really know how this turned into a mini sermonette, but that's my spiel. While you were talking about this book, it sounded really familiar. Was this the first book you read when you were in your ministry program? Yeah. Okay. I knew I, I didn't remember the name, but when you started talking, I was like, I know this from somewhere. Yeah. Because like the first chapter is a little like the way that it's written was kind of hard for me to understand. So I actually called Sam and I was like, listen to what this book (laughs) says that I have to read for this class because I was like, whoa. Anyway. Yeah. So Sam's going to take us in a completely different direction. Go ahead, Sam. I am. Okay, so the book I read is called A Boy in Winter by Maxine Chernoff, and it was published in 1999, which is also when I was born. This book was $22, according to the back of the book. I want to start out by saying that I did not like this book when I first started it, and I almost Mm. cold-trickied it. Mm. I was so close. But before I go further into this book i want to say that cheyenne cold turkeyed her first book this week. i did it was so horrible <laughs> i remember you called me and you were reading it and i had to stop you yeah because it was, it so, was bad. so bad anyways <laughs> in this three-part book you are taken through the lives and thoughts of each of the main characters after a tragic accident interrupts their lives Ooh. this story takes place during the winter months in chicago Danny and his mom have just moved into their new home after Danny's father left them and got a new family. Dang, that's messed up. (laughs) (laughs) They are quickly greeted by one of their neighbors, Eddie, who seems to kind of make up his own rules and run with them, even in other people's spaces. Hmm. Not even an hour after walking into their new home, Eddie decided that from here on out, he would enter their house via a secret knock on Danny's window instead of just knocking and coming through the front door. That's freaking weird. Yeah. (laughs) He's like... yeah it was three knocks on the window oh my god as the boys start to spend more time together you see more of the boys personalities come out danny is a laid-back kid his dad left when he was two and he stepped up as he got older to help his mom that's kind of sad i know eddie on the other hand has a i can do whatever i want attitude and he does just that i feel like that's all teenagers nowadays well i should preface that they are 10 and 11 oh (laughs) 
Eddie is always doing things that Danny would never do. Eddie hogs the gaming controller and then throws a fit when he doesn't win, and Danny doesn't mind sharing. Eddie plays with his fruit and throws it at Danny, and Danny oh, thinks it's rude. the <laughs> Danny thinks it's the most annoying thing ever. I bet. <laughs> Someone told Danny's mom, Nancy, that Danny is growing up around too many women and needs to do more manly things. That's wow. So Paige Turner. Danny goes on a fishing trip with Eddie and his dad, Frank. While the boys are on their fishing trip, Danny is actually enjoying his time with Frank because he doesn't have a father figure. Mm. However, Eddie randomly grabs Danny's new hat and throws it in the water. That's rude. This There's so much rudeness in this book. Exactly. Frank gets in the water to try to retrieve the hat. Meanwhile, Danny makes a comment saying that he feels bad for Frank to have a son like Eddie. Dang. So then Eddie calls him a name. Which I will not say. <laughs> and then the boys start throwing punches. Fair. When Frank gets out of the water, he breaks up the boys, and Eddie is quick to blame Danny for calling him the name mm. that he called Danny. Mm. Another time, the boys went on a hunting trip with Frank. Danny didn't really want to go. Why did Frank think this was a good idea to continue to bring them on trips together? Like, they kept fighting on these trips, and he's just like, yeah, this is what boys do. Because secretly, Frank had a thing for Nancy. Mm. So they went on this hunting trip, and Danny really didn't want to go. And while they were there, Frank shot a deer, because that's what they were there to do. Yeah. Danny was mortified. He was mortified with the process of shooting the deer. He was mortified when he walked up to the deer and saw its glassy eyes because it was dead. And he was mortified with the cleaning and processing of a deer. Weird. He didn't want to be there. He said that he would never kill an animal and he would never go hunting again. Wow. That's so odd. Like, could you imagine people out here taking their, like where we live, taking their son hunting and their son was like, dad, I don't want to do this anymore. They'd be like, so... Yeah, but, like, he had no, he didn't know he grew up around women. He yeah, didn't have a dad. Yeah, he grew up around that. I get that. His dad left when he was two. Mm. The more Danny, the more time Danny spends with Frank and Eddie, it becomes more clear how the accident happened. What accident? Do I have you guessing as what the accident was? <laughs> Did he well, I'll shot? finally tell you. Oh, okay. Pause for dramatic effect. You can leave that in there. Can I? I want to know. Can you say it? No, I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Okay, it's been dramatic enough. <laughs> Eddie comes over like he always does. But the only difference is Eddie brings a compound bow that his dad bought him. Eddie is playing around with the bow, aiming it at Danny's dog and at Danny himself, even oh, no. blocking Danny from certain locations. Danny asks repeatedly for Eddie to stop, but it is still all a game to Eddie, even though they had to take a safety class when they went hunting with Frank. Honestly, that's the dad's fault for not teaching him properly. I agree. Or locking up the bow. First of all, like, what what business do you have giving your child a bow to take to somebody's house? He didn't. He bought it for them to go hunting. Yeah, but, like... And he just left it unattended and not put away. Mm, You messed up A.A. Ron. Yeah. So, finally, Danny lunges at Eddie to get the bow away from him. Well, that was done. In my opinion, he did, as any 11-year-old would do That after being taunted. He turned the bow on Eddie, and within seconds, Danny shot Eddie. Okay! <laughs> I mean, that's not okay. But I mean, that's also- not okay, but, like, if someone was like, I'm gonna shoot you, I'm gonna shoot you, with, like, a BB gun, because I did this to my sister, 
I was just like, all right, payback. (laughs) I'm going to shoot you. And I accidentally did shoot her. Oh, my God. One time when I was a kid, um, my dad I have learned gun safety at this point. (laughs) (laughs) My dad took us to the firing range, the cop firing range, where they all did, like, their certified shooting. And it was just me, my sister, my mom, and my dad out there at the firing range with, like, all the cops. Mm -hmm. And I – it was, like, my first time ever going out there with them. And I was shooting, and I, like, picked up this gun that was empty. Like, it didn't have any bullets on it. I had cleared it and everything in it, not on it. And I pointed it at his, like, lieutenant. And and I was like, boom! Like, just playing around. Because I was a kid. I was little. And, um... My dad was so pissed off at me that he made me write, like, a five-page essay <laughs> apology letter to him. And I had to take a 100 safeties course and, like, some other safety course as my punishment. And it was just horrible. And I never, as ever, ever, ever did that again. <laughs> like, it scarred me so bad. I won't even point, like, an airsoft gun at somebody unless I'm going to shoot them with it. Like a Nerf gun? Good. <laughs> Not even good. As I mentioned, this, PTSD. <laughs> this is a three-part book. So in the first part, you hear from Nancy, who is Danny's mom. Mm-hmm. Through her voice, you feel the terrified, hurt, and confused mother. Aww. Her story talks about the issues in her previous marriage with Alex, Danny's father, and the events slightly prior to the accident and slightly after. Mm. The first half is only a couple chapters. Did, did the one kid die, Eddie? Yes. Oh. Um... The first couple chapters is where I struggled the most with the book, and that was Nancy talking. Remember I texted you and I said the mom sounded like she was insane? Oh, yeah. That's why I almost cold turkey this book. But I'm glad that I trucked through it. So, in part two, you hear from Danny, and you get all the details through the mind and words of a smart, now 12-year-old boy. After the accident, Danny is sent to a youth mental hospital to be evaluated. Danny's doctors recommend that Danny write down everything from when he met Eddie to the events that led up to the accident to the accident itself. Danny does just that. He starts from day one, move-in day. In this section of the book, you see how the lives of the two boys are vastly different due to their family situations. Mm. You hear about how Danny feels not having a father in his life and how he enjoys spending time with Frank, but not so much Eddie. So my question is, for you, a common saying that people use all the time is, you're a product of the environment that you're raised in. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? To an extent. I feel like you can always, if you want to change, you can yeah no i agree with you because i feel like you're gonna go based off of what you've been taught you're yeah you're gonna go off like what that's you your know. guideline for life but if you if you grew up in a really bad situation and you know it's bad you have the ability to change that and i yeah, believe that but there, you don't know it's bad until somebody else comes in and said like shows you right normalcy or like, but like whatever. if someone shows you normal and you still like you don't want to change that's oh, one thing yeah 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 i agree After Danny, you hear from Frank, Eddie's dad. This is where the story starts to take a super unexpected turn. To say the least, I was shocked. Oh, no. (laughs) The events in Frank's part take place after Danny is released from the hospital. As much as I want to tell you what happened, Cheyenne and I promised, no spoilers. spoilers. So if you want to know what happens, head over to your local library and check out A Boy in Winter. Now, I have some questions. Well, I'm freaking mad. Too bad. Because I want to know what... Why did it take a turn on the on on freaking Frank? You gotta go check out the book. No, I'm not gonna read the book that you read. We don't have time to fun read. I'll tell you later. <laughs> so I know you already kind of said this, but who do you think the blame should fall on and why? Mm, 
the dad. Frank. I mean, I I agree with you there, but Danny knew better. He yeah. took the he took the hunter safeties course. He, in part of the book, he even is like, "What the heck is this child doing? We took a class. We know better." Mm. Yeah, but also you have to think about like crimes of passion, right? Like mm. when people get to a point that is that emotionally high end, they snap. Oh, I totally understand. But would you put all of the blame on the father? No. Well, I don't know. It's weird for me, right? Because I was bullied, like, throughout my school age years. So, I mean, once you get tired of it. Oh, I agree. And I wouldn't, like, if I, I would never, if I had a child, blame my child for defending themselves. However. Defending yourself to a certain extent. Yes, that's what I was going to say. So one thing I did forget to mention is um, Frank, the way his dad raised him, was very unloving and very strict. So that's kind of why Eddie got his personality, because his dad never really reprimanded him. Mm. So he he did mention in the book that he like knew Eddie was kind of bad, mm. but he wanted Eddie to be that fun, like not belittled and beat down and unloved kid because so i feel like the dad did fail eddie yeah but because his dad failed him right it's a generational cycle so he tried to break what his dad did to him and in the long run issue got a son killed yeah for all of our soon-to-be listeners after you read this book please comment on the post and tell us why you think frank did what he did i'm curious Shrine's going to be clueless. (laughs) I'm like, what did Frank do? And then my last question is, should Danny's mom have been more concerned with what Danny actually wanted than to keep sending him on these manly trips that he wasn't super thrilled about? I mean, I definitely feel like there should have been some communication there. Like, there should have been a line of open communication for him to say that he didn't like or even if he came home from the hunting trip, his mom should have been like, how was the hunting trip, sweetie? Like, what did you think about it? She did ask, Mm. and they did have a very good relationship, but he also tried to protect his mom's feelings because of the dad leaving when the dad left and got a whole new Mm. wife and kids Mm. and wants nothing to do with his son and her. I feel like, though... So he tries to protect his mom, in a sense. I feel like a mom would know, you know, Mm -hmm. because my parents could always tell when I was lying. Yeah. Sometimes they didn't push it, so maybe she just didn't push the issue, but she knew interesting and because of the nature of this book i wanted to find some statistics on the average rate of child on child accidents oh i'm interested child on child accidents that happened while they were unsupervised with access to weapons Mm -hmm. unfortunately in my quick research i found a bunch of news stories of course you did so no statistics it just so happened that the first link i clicked on only occurred about 45 minutes away from us oh my gosh (laughs) Before I mention this story, I do want to point out that Cheyenne and I are not anti-gun. Nope. Never have been and never will be. Amen and God bless. <laughs> <laughs> We've both been hunting, fishing, and all that redneck stuff that some people hate. Cheyenne and I were both raised on these simple things. You never kill what you aren't going to eat. You treat every weapon like it's loaded and keep all weapons pointed in a safe direction. Yeah, I learned those the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> We were also taught that you never leave weapons unsupervised and easily accessible to anyone, especially kids. Mm -hmm. This is how most accidents happen. Yep. 
Now, on what seemed like a normal Monday in Ocala, Florida, wow, it took a scary turn. <laughs> I sound like a news reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put on my best news anchor voice for this news report. Okay, go ahead, girl. <laughs> <laughs> a nine-year-old brother is found repeatedly stabbing his five-year-old sister. You can't do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. So here's how the story goes. <laughs> she can't do it. <laughs> the siblings were playing in the brother's front room when the mother stepped out to check the mail. When she returned, she found her son repeatedly stabbing her daughter with a kitchen knife. Jeez. According to the report, the brother grabbed the knife from the kitchen and grabbed his sister by the neck and started stabbing her and shouting, die, die. This poor mom. His sister was alert and responsive after the stabbing, and she was later transported to a hospital in Gainesville where she was stabilized. Mm. The boy told the police that he, the thought of killing his sister had, quote, entered his head two days earlier, end quote, and wouldn't go away. The boy allegedly also told police that he stabbed his sister because he wanted to be able to go outside. <laughs> Sorry, what? At the end of it all, the judge ordered a psychiatric evaluation on the child. The boy pled not guilty and was eventually deemed incompetent. Mm. So it's not just guns, as some groups would like to say. It's anything. This boy went into the kitchen, grabbed a knife, Mm -hmm. grabbed his sister, Mm -hmm. and swing, swing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about people in prison who are um, homicidal, suicidal, Mm -hmm. they, they freaking make all kinds of stuff to execute their plans i mean not even prison the uk and australia banned guns so people were stabbing each other Mm -hmm. and then they made a limitation on how long your knife could be Mm -hmm. and then people are over there stabbing each other with forks Mm -hmm. i mean if if someone is determined enough to kill you they're gonna kill you whether it's Mm -hmm. with a purse a cup their hands like you guys honestly A piece of string. Anything can be a weapon. Anything. I could take this nice little piece of string light that we have in our studio and just somebody if I really wanted to. Yeah, just wrap it around their neck. And this is sold as lighting, not a weapon. Yeah, my dad, um, growing up, he always used to tell me and my sister to carry our, like if we were walking to our cars at night. Yeah, carry them in between our knuckles. Because if you have enough force, that's going in somebody. Yeah, go straight into their jugular, dude. It's over. Any, anything is a weapon. Yeah. This table could be a weapon if I really wanted it to be. Well, yeah, that's a heavy freaking table. <laughs> Knock me out with the table. <laughs> so what do you think was going through that mom's head when she walked in on that incident? Because they're both her kids. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like if I walked in that, at first it would be shock. But well, my yeah. dispatcher background would just be like, I need to get my, like something happened to my son. He's going off the wall. Like I need to get him away from my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a mother, I mean, I'm not a mother, but as a dog mom, <laughs> I mean, I would put myself in Murphy's way from getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Of so, course. I mean, I'm sure she would put herself in her, in the way of her daughter. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying like, but not only that, like the, it said in the report, which this whole like incident was so confusing because it said in the report that like when the mom walked in, like the boy ran out the door. Oh. Like, he ran off. They so found he him. knew he did something wrong. Yeah, like, they didn't find him very far. But, mm-hmm. like, he ran He ran off. And, mm-hmm. like, she, like, she, like, gathered up her daughter and called 911. Wow. And it was really hard for me to find, like, I think I spent, like, two hours trying to find 
the like judge's decision like i could not find the well, like yeah. trial it's a juvenile record they're always hard yeah but this was like public information yeah but even still like if they're trying to protect the kid from yeah they didn't list any names mm-hmm. because of their age mm-hmm. wow yeah. i just don't even know because like i would feel concerned for my child that stabbed my other child but did like you don't that's why i say this is like a weird case like did she know maybe that like her kid had symptoms or something and she yeah, neglected it because then that's on her exactly like that that's so hard to like where to place the blame because this is a nine-year-old you're talking about not even and where to place the blame but if the mom just didn't have enough knowledge about what could be because I know a lot of parents, like, they don't have a lot of experience with autistic kids, and then they get an autistic child, or they give birth to an autistic child, and they have to learn, like, Mm -hmm. from square one. Like, they don't know what's going on with their child before somebody tells them. Yeah. So she could have been totally oblivious to it. Yeah. So it just, it never, it didn't state, like, it said that he was incompetent, um, but it didn't state, like, if he was like court ordered help or anything yeah which i'm sure oh yeah probably he'll probably see a therapist for well into his adulthood yeah some kind of trauma counseling but i was reading some of the comments and like some people believe that like this kid i mean as as harsh as it sounds some people believe that this kid should stay locked up because they think they believe like he'll do it again i mean this was almost 100 percent premeditated yeah they were playing he went and grabbed a knife came up behind his sister grabbed her neck and began stabbing her multiple times not just once she had multiple stab wounds no i understand but what i'm saying is if you have somebody who has schizophrenia or Mm -hmm. something of that nature where they literally have other people telling them what to do in their head they can be put on medicine and that can be corrected yeah i believe like attempting medication for well first of all finding the issue right and then medication and if that doesn't work not prison not jail but like an institute yeah like a medical facility because they you do have to have... take everyone's safety into account at that point well yeah because he's not mentally competent either mm-hmm. he doesn't know 100 percent what he's doing if that is the case and i do want to point out really quick that this story did happen back in 2020 Oh, so, so not not too, long not too recent, but not too long ago. Yeah. Hmm. That's so he wild. would be about eleven right now. Yeah. And I do want to like make it known that the daughter did survive. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. She probably has counseling too now. Oh, probably. But I also like, I would never speak to my brother ever again. Mm, I don't know. That's hard. I mean. I don't know if if something popped up and like yes he was schizophrenic or whatever. Right, but if I you would. just came up behind me and stabbed me because some little thing in your head said kill me, uh uh-uh, uh, bro, we are never talking again. But at the same time, he the idea popped into his head and he, two days prior and he couldn't get rid of it. So that tells me that like there's I mean, something. But there's I mean that's pretty much the same with serial killers like. They all fixate on something. It pops into their head, and it's like an itch that they can't scratch until they kill somebody. So it may just be... that's a trait. I mean... No, have you... There's this thing called serial killer genes. Oh, no, 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 no. I know what you're talking about. But it's still, like... Just like depression is a chemical imbalance in your head, um, I feel like 
even though it's quote unquote a trait, it still is some kind of imbalance. Yeah. But there's not enough research or what have you to figure out one, if it could be corrected or two, how to correct it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This turned into a really different episode. (laughs) We did coffee and zero waste. And now we're talking about murder, guns, and Jesus. (laughs) Wait, we said, we told them we would cover a vast range of stuff, and we proved it in two episodes. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Y'all just freaking wait until the next episode. Thank you, Big Daddy Unlimited, for partnering with us on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.